Well, folks, it's Misha Arish, Jerry Adams here with another podcast. And just reflecting that, you know, there's hardly a week goes past without some new aspect or some new commentary emerging on the issue of Irish unity. When will the unity referendum be held? What criteria should the British Secretary of State apply when deciding on the date? What is the role of the Irish government? What will the question or questions be that will be asked of citizens? How will the referendums be structured? And what new laws may be needed to facilitate them? The fact is, there will be the unity referendum. And when it comes, it will be the most important constitutional debate about the future of the island of Ireland in hundreds of years. Certainly in the last hundred years. And as we prepare for it, it's worth reflecting on the recent role of referendums in encouraging greater public awareness of and an engagement in democratic decisions that have achieved significant positive change. Now, I know this is a much more layered and complex issue, but the referendums on marriage equality, on the repeal of the 8th, are the most obvious And the Irish government helped to prepare for these by establishing citizen-centred mechanisms. The Constitutional Convention and then the Citizens' Assembly to examine constitutional and societal change. And this process of maximising democratic engagement in the process of change and in the referendum process was a success. I was there at most of those uh, gatherings Uh, we in Sinn Féin would have actually put forward uh, an even more citizen-centred approach and we certainly would have uh, allowed for an ongoing process of such engagements. But having said that, the uh, 1998 referendum which was 23 years ago, obviously, that were held north and south on the Good Friday Agreement, while there wasn't the formal uh, coming together in citizens' conventions or assemblies, there was an intense period of negotiations and a wide-ranging debate on the merits or otherwise of the Good Friday Agreement, and every household in the country got a copy of it. So, Those referendums achieved a massive majority in favour of the agreement. So that's what happens when citizens are motivated, empowered, enabled to be part of the discussion. Now, if you want to look at how not to do it, then the failure of the Tory government of David Cameron to properly prepared for the Brexit referendum in 2016 resulted in an outcome that has sharply divided British society, encouraged the breakup of the union and created economic turmoil. And the consequences for our island, and particularly for the North, have been especially difficult. The Election last week of Edwin Putz as the leader of the DUP 
saw him trot out the same nonsense as his predecessor, that the EU and the Irish government have flouted the will of the people of the North. He even went as far as to claim that the Irish government is going to starve Northern Ireland people of medicines, no less, cancer drugs and other materials, such as the food that's on our table. Now, none of this is true, of course. It's deliberately a campaign of fear to, to heighten concerns around Brexit, the Irish Protocol and the growing interest in Irish unity. And the DUP is intent on whipping up resentment to the Brexit crisis that it has been instrumental in creating. So no mention of the DUP's aggressive support for the Brexit referendum and for the vote to leave in 2016. No mention of the reality that the majority of people in the North voted to remain in the European Union and that the DUP has disregarded this and consistently refused to recognise it and to respect the majority outcome and that the DUP refused to support any of the efforts by Theresa May to produce an agreement with the European Union. So DUP-style democracy is rooted in partition. So it's limited. It's a limited philosophy. It has a big democratic deficit at its centre. It excludes the rights and votes of nationalists and republicans. It ignores the reality that political unionism is now an electoral minority and holds just 40 out of the 90 seats in the Assembly. And United Irelanders, for our part, we have to be inclusive of everyone. As we work to move the process of change ahead and seek to win the unity referendum, we must include our neighbours and fellow citizens who identify as British. To do this effectively and democratically, we must plan for the unity referendum and we must plan to win it. Last uh, week, the Irish Times, which used to be described perhaps uh, erroneously as the paper of record, it concluded if it's plausible to think referendums in Irish unity could happen this decade, it would be prudent to plan for that possibility. So, let's be prudent. Last week also saw the publication of the final report from the Working Group on Unification Referendums on the Island of Ireland. And the Working Group involved is based at the Constitution Unit of the University College Dublin. And it too supports the imperative of preparing for the unity referendum. It's made up of 12 academic specialists in politics, law, sociology and history. And they were brought together and spent two years examining what the Good Friday Agreement provision for the referendum means in practice, what technical and procedural questions are raised as a result, and what steps are necessary to facilitate it and ensure that it is fair and democratic. And they also received hundreds of submissions from individuals and from organisations. The report, which will require careful consideration, runs to 260 pages. The executive summary is what I have read, and it suggests the criteria that the British government should use to determine when the referendum is held, and these are election results, opinion polls, qualitative research, a vote instalment, 
seats wanted elections and demographic data. It asked whether the Irish government should present a clear model of the kind of United Ireland on offer before the referendum, or instead propose a constitutional process to determine that after the referendum takes place and the voters say yes. It asserts that a referendum should be called if a vote for unification appears likely, even by a slender margin. And it accepts the Good Friday Agreement principle that a yes vote requires a vote of 50% plus one. Now, of course, we United Islanders want the biggest vote that we can possibly get. The report states it would breach the agreement to require a higher threshold than 50% plus one. It also looks at the kind of political structures that might emerge as a result of the referendum and constitutional change. These are big issues for consideration. And there are many more questions and issues raised in this lesson that we can draw from the report. And what is that lesson? The lesson is prepare, prepare, prepare. The Michal Martin approach, don't prepare, ignore it. It'll go away. It's too soon. You'll frighten the unionists. It's the shinners who are at it. It's not good enough. Sticking your head in the sand and hoping that this debate will go away represents a lack of vision and a lack of leadership. And Taoiseach's starting point has to be the Good Friday Agreement. He needs to read it. So... Incidentally, as I record this, Edwin Putz is completing his first week. Well, it may be less than a week, but he's completing his first little days as DUP leader. So off he went to Dublin to meet Antishak. And that was good. Uh, he had already set out his position that he would not attend North-South Ministerial or other bodies and so on. And while DUP representatives may have stayed away from using the word boycott because that would be a breach of the ministerial code and they may be using other excuses like the, the date wasn't suitable or it was a rainy day or they were busy or the dog ate their homework. The fact is, off he went and on foot of Dirdre Harkey, Minister for the Communities, asking for legal advice on this question, he U-turned. Now, we all know that political leaders have to U-turn every so often, but begs the question, why did they get rid of Arlene Foster? Is it really anything to do with the public explanations that have been given and it vindicates the views of those including this particular podcaster who said that Edwin will face exactly the same challenges that Arlene faced. So he's of course saying that he will implement all aspects of the new decade, new approach commitments, the the Irish Language Act, the other dimensions of it that have not been acted upon. But of course he doesn't say when. 
So, supposed to be done within this mandate. It can still be done within this mandate. There's still enough space uh, in the schedule to allow that to happen. So, over to you, Edwin, on that one. Interestingly enough, there is the spectre, and I don't want to use the word the threat, but there certainly has been a cranking up of opposition to the protocol, again, a child of Brexit, again, a child of the DUP. And the noising abroad has been, look, the loyalists are going to rebel and so on and so on. And there is all sorts of dire warnings being issued. But I think it's important to say that while on the one hand we have the likes of uh, David Campbell, who is the chairperson of the Loyalist uh, grouping LCC, saying that the North will descend into chaos this summer and that the protocol has to go and that the people of Northern Ireland will not accept this diktat from yet another unelected German. Whatever that has to do with it begs question. But it's also important to record and to realise that within loyalism there are many different voices and different opinions on the way forward. And I want to commend those loyalists who are doing their best to keep the peace, who are doing their best to mind young people within their neighbourhoods and who must realise that the disadvantage that is visited upon them, and this includes the kids who were out riding at the interface areas at Easter, is exactly the same disadvantage that's heaped upon others of the same age and background from a nationalist or republican community. So there are different voices within loyalism, and there are different opinions on the way forward. And there's no unanimity of approach around the possibility of of chaos or violence. There are many within loyalism and the community sector working within loyalist working class areas who oppose unionist politicians using their community as a stick to threaten others with. And they see chaos being to the detriment of the people who live on those in those neighbourhoods. They they see as they try to deal with unemployment, drug gangs, health inequality, poverty, deprivation and disadvantage. And many of them are especially concerned at the emergence of a, an underclass of young people, no hopers who refuse to listen to anyone. And the recent street disturbances in Belfast at some of the interfaces saw a section of unionist youth prepared to tell loyalist leaders who tried to stop the violence 
to take themselves off. Tackling these problems in a heightened atmosphere of fear and with unionist parties normally disinterested in addressing these issues is hugely difficult. Who are the biggest opponents of efforts to introduce anti-poverty measures into these, uh, into helping the people at the receiving end of this? Who? The DUP. So there's a, a commonality of challenges facing our society right across the entire island. This isn't peculiar to Belfast. The, the sectarianism is, of course, but deprivation, disadvantage. It's there in Dublin, it's there in Limerick, it's there in Cork, it's there in rural Ireland, it's there particularly in the west of Ireland. And we're better able to tackle these problems if we do it together. So once again, well done to those from within loyalism who are doing their best to keep the peace and to tackle disadvantage. And finally, just because it's a wonderful song, because it epitomizes what all freedom-loving people think, I want to finish with Frances Black and her song for Gaza. So Toraira, Togo Bogge, Ogislori Mailatsa, Arish, Lakhuji Jay, and Shakhtan Shahogi. Slan, Slan Tamar. Flash of white light lit up the sky over Gaza tonight. People running for cover, not knowing whether they're dead or alive. They came with their tanks and their planes, with ravaging fiery flames, and nothing remains. Just a voice rising up to this smoky haze. We will. And massacred night after night While the so-called leaders of countries afar Debating on who's wrong or right But their powerless words are in vain While the bombs fall down like acid rain And through the tears and the blood and the pain You can still hear the voice through the smoky haze We will not
You can burn up grandma's and our homes and our schools, but our spirits.